for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! And welcome in to the Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Kane Schwartz, and I'm joined by Mr. Jaden Kozak over in Maryland. Uh, I always say you guys are coming from different places, but I'm really the only one coming from a different place because I'm in a different state. But that is it's not the concern of the matter today. We are here to talk about some week for football uh, as far as our teams went, I mean, I can't be disappointed at all with what happened on Sunday. Um, we had some debate, um, some healthy debate prior to the podcast about whether or not Ron Rivera should have gone for it, headed into or about to go into overtime. He could have scored, went for two, possibly won the game. There was some debate about that. I'm not upset because I didn't expect to be in that game at all. Uh, your Steelers lost this week. Uh, real quick, uh, what are some takeaways from that, man? Yeah, I mean, unlike you, I can be disappointed with the result of this past week. It was a little uh, upsetting to see how poor the team played. Uh, thought the offensive line matchup, or the, the trenches matchup with their offensive line banged up. Our defensive line has been wrecking offensive lines for the last three weeks. We saw none of that on Sunday. Offense looked just as putrid as usual. Kind of feels like maybe after this week, if the offense is as bad, as it was last week, and it has been so far this season, we head into the bye in week six. I think that there's a chance that Matt Canada does end up maybe getting out of there. We'd have two weeks to get everything back together, but, you know, also Kenny Pickett goes down in this game. Uh, they said he's probably not going to miss too much time. I think that there's a pretty solid chance that it is Trubisky against Baltimore on Sunday, and then we go into the bye, so then Pickett has three whole weeks to get rested up. Um, but he avoided anything serious because at first, you know, see a guy go down grabbing his knee you think acl something something bad um and i think it just ended up being a strain of an mcl or something like that so uh but otherwise you know pretty disappointing but we got a lot of stuff to talk about uh we're gonna kind of hit takeaways today as opposed to reviewing every game so we've got six takeaways three from each of us spanning across a couple different games um so excited to get into that yeah uh, a little bit of a different format, but not really. Uh, just really concise in the format for you so that we can hit the most important and pressing news from the week every week. So, without further ado, man, let's dive right on into some of the takeaways that we had from this week. And let's talk about what we saw from the Buffalo Bills this past week. And it was nothing but impressive. I mean, this was supposed to be the game of the week. We were looking forward to this, uh, hyping it up. Uh, it was Dolphins-Bills, man, and that's usually a good matchup. It was not on Sunday. The Buffalo Bills absolutely put the wood to Mike McDaniel and his squad. Um, and there was some concern, especially early in the season after they lost to the Jets, that the Buffalo Bills might not be the same Buffalo Bills this season, but they went out on Sunday and proved that they are still the Bills. So what were your takeaways from that impressive performance by Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, this was my first key takeaway from week four. Uh, after week one, and, you know, Josh Allen had a couple throws, obviously, that, you know, directly costed them that game with all the turnovers that he had in week one. And since then, it's really just been dominance. Uh, they played some little little bit of inferior opponents. They had uh, Vegas in week two and then Washington last week. They beat the crap out of both of those teams. And this Miami team, you know, they're coming off of a 70-point outing in week three, only been done twice in the modern era. So this was, you know, supposed to be the game of the week. And early on in the game, it looked like it was going to be that exactly that, you know, like that Rams-Chiefs Monday night football game from a few years ago where the, the total score ends up in the triple digits. Like, that's what it felt like. And then the Dolphins weren't scoring as much, and the Bills just kept going. And, you know, we saw that in the result. They win 48-20. to 20. This is a dominant showing. And there were some whispers, even, you know, from us, from everybody else in the media, saying that this is the Dolphins' division now. Like, this is the, the AFC East belongs to the Dolphins. And I think we kind of forgot a little too quickly after we watched the Bills kind of self-implode on primetime on Monday Night Football against Jet Zach Wilson, who's looked so bad through these first two weeks. We'll talk about him a little bit later. 
um, that we just kind of were like, okay, the Bills aren't as good. They're still going to be good. They'll still beat up on these bad teams, but they don't have a chance in this AFC. I think they're right there with all the other contenders in the AFC. I mean, they just beat Miami uh, by a good margin. Kansas City looks like they might, you know, potentially have some problems here. Um, as well, you know, Cincinnati looks like they might even be out of the race altogether the way that they're playing right now and with the Joe Burrow situation. But Buffalo, I think, I mean, we're going to put out our power rankings probably sometime over the next 24 hours. And I think Buffalo might be the number one team uh, from the AFC in those rankings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned it with teams like Cincinnati clearly falling out of the power rankings. The Browns had a disappointing week this week. I mean, teams are going to be moving up. I mean, even we'll talk about it later, but even with Philly looking a little bit questionable, uh, Buffalo Bills are moving on up in our power rankings and starting to make a case for one of the best teams, if not the best team in football. I mean, I'm looking at the line from Josh Allen on Sunday. 24 for 25, 320, four tuds, no picks, one touchdown on the ground as well. I mean, he was an absolute dog. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here. I would, and not, not like the running game in Buffalo has ever been prominent and they haven't had needed it to be to win, but this run game is still not there. James Cook is clearly the number one guy. Um, he showed flashes at times, but I mean, even coming in, you didn't expect James Cook to get this kind of workload. He's not a between the tackles bell cow back and he got 12 carries, 29 yards. He did have a touchdown on Sunday. Do you think this run game plays at all into any concern for the Bills, or do you think they're just going to keep doing what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, the Bills have never had a dominant running game. Yeah. Like, it, the, throughout their entire run here in Buffalo with Josh Allen as the quarterback, they've never had a big focus on particularly the running back position. But the running game is usually fine because of Josh Allen. Josh Allen can boost that running game to the point where you know you don't think about it as much as you would with other teams that don't have that element of a running game because Josh Allen can create those runs. Whether that's good for the Buffalo Bills as a whole in the grand scheme of things is a whole different discussion. But the fact that he can add that and almost create his own running game for this team is kind of what makes him the guy that he is. Like he's not the methodical, you know, can just hit every single throw type of guy like a Joe Burrow was or is supposed yeah. to be um but he can do things that not many other human beings on this planet can like he he can create his own rushing game for this team he can make certain throws that no other quarterback in the league can with his arm talent that you know is something like we've never seen before and like tyler was real big on this you know the bills are cooked uh, this offseason had them at 16th in our preseason powerings or 15th somewhere in the teens uh and that it's not looking great right now because this Bills team is rolling. Uh, Josh Allen with Joe Burrow playing the way that he's playing. You start to look around the rest of the league and even Mahomes has not really looked like himself through the first few weeks of the season. I mean, they put up 40 on Chicago, but so have, you know, a lot of teams are a lot of teams are doing a lot of things in Chicago right now, but They've only breached 23 points. They like their highest score other than that Chicago game was 23 points uh, last night against the Jets. Uh, so maybe we could be talking like like I talked about it in the Bills episode, man. Like between him, between Allen, Burrow, and Mahomes, it kind of depends on what point in the season we are where you decide who the best quarterback in the NFL is. And I don't think it's crazy right now to say that that guy could be Josh Allen at this point in time. He's playing like it right now. He played like that on Sunday, 100. percent and with Burrow hobbled for the time being, and I think the Chiefs still kind of figuring some things out, I, you know, the headline says that there's nothing to worry about in Buffalo for all of those that were concerned after this offseason, after week one, Josh Allen still his dominant self, uh, and the Bills still dominant. I will say one little footnote on that. Tredavious White is lost for yeah, the season after suffering, after suffering a torn Achilles. So that's going to be a huge blow because their secondary – is you know that's their better half of the defense between that and the front seven their secondary is the better part of that they still have two great safeties back there but losing Tredavious White as your number one corner is a huge blow you know thoughts and prayers go out to him he's gone through a season-ending knee injury in the very recently actually I believe it was in the last two or three years so having to see him go through that again sucks um, and the Bills are definitely going to miss him but I still think that this Bills team can 100% you know, be a Super Bowl team in this AFC just like they have been for the last few years. 
Yeah, for sure. It's just a matter if they stay healthy. I mean, this defense, I mean, we talked a lot about the offense. This defense has really impressed. It's going to hurt losing Trey White. Uh, but as you mentioned, you still got that elite duo of safeties back there. Jordan Poyer was banged up on Sunday, but they still cleaned up on this Miami offense. So got to love that. And you got Von Miller coming back pretty soon. When is he coming back exactly? I don't, I don't know. It's starting to feel like one of those situations where it's like, oh, he's supposed to be back in two weeks and then two weeks comes and then, Oh, it's two more weeks. And I mean, I, yeah. I get that it, I get that it was a rough injury, but he is 34 years old. Um, so that, that needs to be taken into account here. That was one of our drawbacks for the bills was like, well, everybody's like, Oh, we'll wait till Von Miller gets back. And it's like, well, what Von Miller are we going to get once he comes back at this age? But you know, if he looks like he did in the early parts of last season, I'm talking about one of the better edge rushers in the NFL, and if they can add that into this defense, it's playing pretty well. They held Miami to 20 points. That's their lowest total on the season to this point. You know, we'll be talking about one of the best defenses and one of the best offenses in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. This Buffalo Bills team is rolling right now, and there's no cause for concern there, at least for the time being. So, okay, let's dive in to a team that definitely does have some concern, and that is the... Cincinnati Bengals, who laid another goose egg or basically a goose egg on Sunday. I mean, what was the final score in this one? Three, three. Yeah. yeah, three to 27 against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, anybody who's watching football relatively close this season knows that the Titans are not supposed to be a powerhouse. The Bengals are supposed to be a powerhouse, and they went out and got trounced on Sunday and that's been the theme this year so far for the Bengals it appears Joe Burrow's still a little bit banged up from that calf it appears as though Zach Taylor doesn't deserve a head coaching position in the National Football League I mean this team is in trouble all over the place and this is my big takeaway from this week is that the Bengals are really in trouble and Zach Taylor might need to start looking for a new job here soon um some just some things to note from this game man i mean and in general from the season they are running out of shotgun 90 percent of the time 90 percent of their play calls on offense are out of the shotgun just for reference the second team on that list commanders at 88 percent because our offensive line is horrendous and the colts come in at 78 percent at third 90% dude 9 out of 10 plays are in shotgun that's ridiculous obviously that has something to do with trying to keep Joe Burrow healthy trying to keep him on his feet trying to avoid sacks but I mean there's a lot more problems than just that I mean Jamar Chase you saw him complaining in the postgame presser I'm always effing open like that's not a thing you want to see from your star wide receiver especially after the game and I mean, they do need to get Jamar Chase involved if they're going to win football games. I mean, in their only win this year, last week against the Rams, he had 15 targets, 12 catches. And in the rest of the games this season in which they've lost, he's had either eight or nine targets or less. So that's terrible. And then you round it all out with this offense has always been so electric. And when we haven't like seen it being absolutely electric, then the defense can somewhat make up for that. But the defense is not there to make up for that this season. I mean, that's not a signature of the Cincinnati Bengals, but they've always been able to help them out. And this season, it ain't happening. They got a 58 overall defensive grade, which is sixth worth in the NFL on PFF. And last season, it was at 75.7, which was the 10th best on PFF. So a complete turnaround in the rankings. So this Cincinnati team has serious troubles, man. What do you think and can turn this ship around, if anything? Yeah, I mean, we're now to the point where with Joe Burrow, where it becomes a question of, you know, when do we shut him down and just say, yeah. look, we just gave this guy $250 million, $260 million, the most you know, expensive contract in NFL history. Do we want to risk him having a long-term problem here uh, just to salvage this season, which looks like it kind of maybe already lost. I mean, the AFC we know is a powerhouse. There's a lot of big teams. You know, we talked about it when we were talking about Buffalo. You got Buffalo, you got Kansas City. In your division, you've got Baltimore, Cleveland. I know Cleveland didn't look great on Sunday, but no Deshaun Watson there. You get him back. That defense is still fantastic. Uh you've still got Miami. Um the Chargers look like they're trying to turn things around a little bit. So you can't fall to like one and three, one and four, you know, you can't walk into, I think they have their bye week in week seven or week eight. You know, they can't walk into that with two wins and expect to 
be in the playoffs and be in the mix, you can't get up to speed that quickly. And we talked about it a few weeks ago when they started slow. They started 0-2, and we were like, okay, two years or last year when they started slow, that that happens. You know, this is a Cincinnati team that tends to start slow. But the fact that it's still lingering and the fact that Joe Burrow's injury is still lingering, that's a problem. Like, that makes it seem like it's not so much of a short-term problem and this may be like a real issue for this Bengals team. Like you just look all across the board. Joe Burrow's average depth of target right now is 4.5 yards. This is a team with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on it. T. Higgins operates deep down the field. You can look at his production over the last four weeks with the exception of the Baltimore game. You can see that they're throwing it short. Like not been good. Jamar Chase, he's pissed because he can work vertically. Like I understand like you want to get him involved in the short game because Joe Burrow can't, you know, drive and throw those balls right now. But I mean, throwing him from the ball 15 times is great. And I obviously got you a win on Monday night football, but teams are going to start keying in on that. And if they know he can't throw the ball deep to T Higgins for those 40 yard balls that T Higgins has made his money off of, you know, their teams are just going to play down. And that's how Cincinnati's getting beat right now. I mean, even the offensive line has looked Pretty subpar. Cordell Volson, though, did turn it around after turning in a 0.0 pass blocking grade in week three, which I've never seen before. Uh, he turned in a 37.6 pass blocking grade, but got a 92 Just run blocking grade. steps is, to the side when they yeah, start rushing. Yeah, like, I, I don't even know how you do, like, I feel like, I think it's like a counting thing where, like, you just got to get a certain amount of positive plays and his negative plays outweighed his positive plays by a significant amount. Uh, but you, you mentioned the defense as well, and I think that's one of the main takeaways is you think about the Cincinnati team over the last two or three years, and you think about how you know this is a firepowered offense. You've got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, and they can put up all these points in a hurry against some of these teams, but you look at the playoffs and you see all these scores are in the 20s. They're in the teens and 20s, and that's because this defense is coached so well by Luana Rumo, a guy that you know I thought was going to be in head coach conversations. He got to the last stage with the Cardinals. They end up going in a different direction, and the defense has not been the same this year as well. You know, 27 points to the Tennessee Titans is not something that they would be doing in a normal season. This is like that's like 2021 Titans numbers. This Titans team should not be putting 27 on this defense. You know, we've talked about isn't the most talented, but is definitely one of the best coached and is still fairly talented. This isn't like a talentless yeah. group on defense. They have a Trey Hendrickson, a DJ Reader. They got some youth in the secondary that they're still trying to work out the kinks. Yeah, they got some nice linebackers as well. So I, this isn't just a Joe Burrow problem. I think the Bengals are in real trouble as a team. You know, this this isn't like when we get Joe Burrow back healthy, we're right back in it. We snap right back into contention. I honestly, even if that happens, you know, it may be too late for this Bengals team. That's kind of the concern right now and we're starting to talk about, well, uh Jake Browning, like how what percentage of Joe Burrow like is 60% of Joe Burrow still better than Jake Browning? Like I I get Jake Browning is one of the wor- one of the lower end backups in the NFL, but at a certain point, we got to start protecting this asset in Joe Burrow. Exactly. I mean, at least Jake Browning could pass it further than what was the average depth of target? Less than four five, half, four and a half yards. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully he can get it farther down the field than Joe Burrow can. But I feel like we're giving uh, a cop out, a uh, get out of jail free card for Zach Taylor. I I didn't hear you mention him once. And okay. how? That's a great question because it's like, how much of this can we put on Joe Burrow not being healthy? And then how much of this can we put on Zach Taylor just with shitty play calling? Because running 90% of your plays out of shotgun is just bad coaching, period. Yes, period. but it keeps Joe Burrow from moving. Like, you know, if he's got to turn around and keeps you know, whether it be play action too. and stuff, I, I, I get that. I 100% get that. But the fact that Joe Burrow isn't moving, again, we got to protect the asset at certain points in time. Just having him sit back and shotgun, he's only got to take a two or three step drop and then release the ball. Whereas if he's sitting under center, he's got to take a seven step drop or they're running play action and he's taking still a seven step drop and he's turning his back to the defense. You know, we saw on Monday Night Football, it was a lot easier to watch because that game was in prime time and everybody's eyes were on it. You saw that it was almost two to three seconds every time. Like they were trying to keep him up and the offensive line did play well, despite Cordell Volson having such a bad grade. Like it didn't feel like he got pressured a lot. It was like midway through the third quarter where it felt like the first time that the Rams front really got to him. And that shotgun thing, while it's keeping the offense from 
progressing and getting to the levels, it's keeping Joe Burrow upright. It's keeping Joe Burrow on the field right now. And at a certain point, that is the priority for Cincinnati right now. I definitely think Zach Taylor deserves some of the blame because you've got to find creative ways to, like like I said, get Jamar Chase the ball. You know, even though T. Higgins isn't really like a, a yards after catch threat, get him the ball. Just establish this run game, maybe. Yeah, that is one. That as well. I mean, they've been notoriously like, we're going to run the ball and it's going to be inside zone. Like that's what they, that's what they do. That was their thing all throughout last year. And then they started to adjust a little bit. And that's when you saw that turnaround that we talked about, but haven't seen that yet this year. And I think honestly, like, you know, once a quarter, maybe you've just got to find single coverage for T Higgins and just throw him the ball there. Just, I don't care if you huck it out of bounds and, it's not, it's barely even catchable for T Higgins. You just got to keep the threat there because it's hard to establish the running game when your average depth of target is four and a half yards and teams are playing down because you know he can't throw that ball right now. He cannot beat us over the top, even with these weapons in Jamar Chase and T Higgins that usually can do that. He can't beat us right now. So we're going to play up. We're going to, you know, we can stop the pass and the run by doing this one simple thing. So some of it falls on coaching. I think on, you know, not unfortunately, I know some Bengals fans at this time are calling for the head of Zach Taylor, which they've done at multiple points in his tenure here as a head coach. I think that pretty much regardless of what happens this year, even if it is a total disaster, I think the fact that Joe Burrow is injured and, you know, could either A, be playing through injury for the entire season or B, it's Jake Browning for, you know, from week six on or week eight on, whatever, that's going to keep him his job, you know, right or wrong. It just kind of is. They're not going to fire know, him on a year like this. And the this. only reason I'm, like, disappointed is because I know that's true. Like, yeah. he's literally going to get another free pass after the season because of what's happening with Joe Burrow right now, which is a joke. Uh, way too many coaches get that, a.k.a. Brandon Staley. Uh, Brandon Staley got another free pass on Sunday, but we're not here to talk about that. But there is serious problems in Cincy, and we'll see if they can start to figure it out. I mean, it's really... Are you going to shut down Joe Burrow? Are you going to keep him in all season? I mean, that's the big question mark in Cincy right now. So definitely worrisome over there. But next takeaway we want to talk about, and one of your big takeaways from this past week, is C.J. Stroud balling out for his Houston Texans. And he might be the guy. He might be the franchise guy in Houston. He might be the answer that they've been looking for in Houston. So that's super exciting. I mean, Stroud was awesome on Sunday. What did you see that made you super excited about the future in Houston, man? Yeah. I mean, I will just preface this with saying I was not a Stroud guy coming into the draft. Like I know that there were a lot of people that had, you know, there were some people that had him over Bryce Young. I had him as QB three behind Anthony Richardson. That's more of a testament to me liking Anthony Richardson a lot than it is like a whole bunch of hate for Stroud. But I never got the like thought that he should be going over Bryce Young or even Anthony Richardson for that matter. Um, But clearly Houston Texans know a little bit more about football than I do. Cause this dude right now, he's balling out. He, he just is. And the most impressive part about it for me is what he's doing with the offensive line that they're running out at this current point in time. I mean, you look at this team and we had, I believe their offensive line ranked in the middle of the pack with, you know, guys like Laramie Tunsil, Shaq Mason. They had Juice Ruggs coming in as a rookie. They had Kenyon Green coming into his second year, Titus Howard. Four of the five guys that I just mentioned did not play on Sunday. Shaq Mason was the only guy that played on Sunday, and he played pretty bad, grading out at a 50.8 per PFF. Uh, they had a first-time tackle start. I can't remember his – I feel like it was uh, Tegan – no, that's not even him. They did have – oh, Austin Deculus, yeah. He started for the first time in his entire oh, career. Austin, uh, yeah, Austin duh, Deculus. Duh, yeah, come on. of course. Uh, he duh. started for the first time in his entire career at left tackle on Sunday. Uh, they are – so, like, I don't know if – Anybody that watched the Steelers-Texans game like exclusively, you watched the pregame, you may have seen they uh, listed the offensive linemen that were out. They were missing six offensive linemen in that game, and Shaq Mason is a guy that is projected to start. He did end up starting at guard, so that means four starters and their two best backups were missing in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers front, which you know we widely consider, even with no Cameron Hayward, to be one of the three or four best defensive fronts. T.J. Watt's been, you know, he's got six sacks on the year. He didn't have a sack at all on Sunday. I don't think Alex Highsmith did either. 
and just the out of structure stuff that CJ Stroud's been doing. I didn't see any of that really on tape. And when I did, you know, my mistake, I kind of just dismissed it as, okay, well, he's got this Ohio state offensive line. He may not be walking into that in the NFL. And once that's gone, you know, also the weapons thing, you know, we talked about it this off season, Houston's weapons are really rough. You know, you look at Nico Collins, We're Tank really Dell, Damian Pierce, Dalton Schultz. You don't think, wow, you know, we could be talking about a group that has a lot of offense production. Man, these guys are balling as well. You know, not only do I want to talk about CJ Stroud, I just want to talk about the Texans as a whole. Honestly, uh, Nico Collins has been one of the more productive wide receivers in the league so far this year. Tank Dell also, you know, small guy was like one of the most talked about wide receivers, maybe not one of the highest ranked, but because of how he is like that kind of Calvin Austin thing, like that when he came out two years ago, where it's like, you're, he is a perfect athlete outside of the fact that he's five, eight. And we see him and Calvin Austin as well in Pittsburgh in this game. Um, are making impacts on their team even at that small size. So got to give credit to those guys as well. Damian Pierce had a good day on the ground for the first time this season, really. Uh, but, and C.J. Stroud, I mean, like we talked about it, uh, or everybody is talking about it with the records that he's breaking. You know, he was, I believe, had the third most passing yards in his first three games with 906, and then he had 1,200 and change, which is only behind Cam Newton for his first four games. So wow. he... I mean, he's balling out and like this Texans, this isn't like he's walking into San Francisco where he can just deal with these playmakers and sit behind this good offensive line. Like he's, he's doing this, like he's doing this by himself. And you know what Anthony Richardson's doing in Indianapolis is great. I think Bryce Young off to a bit of a slow start in Carolina, but I think CJ Stroud, maybe you throw B. John Robinson in there as well. And I think those are the two front runners for offensive rookie of the year right now. And I think Houston just two years after getting rid of Deshaun Watson has found their answer at quarterback. Yeah, and that's awesome for Texans uh, Texans fans, obviously. And not only do you have a guy that's playing out of his shoes right now, but you also have a leader going forward into the future. I mean, you saw the post-game press conference uh, from C.J. Stroud, but if you didn't, he was talking about how, like, we want Texans fans to be proud. Like, we want them to wear their gear outside and, like, actually be happy to do it. And, like, that's – you don't hear that a lot, from Which... especially from a young quarterback. Yeah, and in Houston, I mean, they haven't had much reason to do that in the last two or three years. No. You know, you had Deshaun Watson sitting out for an entire season, and then he gets traded to Cleveland, and then it's more misery with Davis Mills and that whole thing. And they were criticized pretty heavily when, you know, they had the number two pick, they had the number 12 pick. They take C.J. Stroud at two, and they come up to get Will Anderson. They give up next year's first and all offseason. We talked about, well, Arizona could have one and two because the Cardinals and Texans could very well be the two worst teams in the NFL right now. Texans are sitting at two and two. The Cardinals look feisty, so Cardinals conversation is a different thing, but more so talking about the culture because they said yeah. that was a culture-establishing move. Like, we are, we're not pushing all of our chips in on this year, but we want to show the fans, we want to show the NFL, we want to show the guys inside this building that we're committed to winning right now. And we can get a Will Anderson in here in addition to a C.J. Stroud, you know, two of the three best players in this class draft-wise. And Will Anderson had a great day as well. And I just think, you know, you talked about it with Stroud. He seems like a culture shifter. Will Anderson seems like a culture shifter. Um, D'Amico Ryans coached a great game defensively. Yeah. Bobby, Bobby, PFF, PFF Bobby. Uh Bobby Slovitz coming over, bringing in that Shanahan system. He coached a great game, and I, he's you know leading C.J. Stroud here. Like This is the thing that you'd want him to be in. This is the system that you'd want him to be in, where he just looks for read one, and he can deliver it to it. Like I, I don't know, man. I, I didn't like him coming out. I had my doubts, but you know he's putting on right now, and you got to be pretty excited if you're a Texans fan moving forward. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's always a good thing when you get your franchise quarterback in town. Uh, I don't know if we have ours yet. You don't know if you have yours yet. No. So happy to see another franchise finally get their franchise guy. Enjoy something we can't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, all right. So another thing we want to talk about, one of my big takeaways from this past week, is that the Eagles, despite the dub, on Sunday against the Washington Commanders. This is not the same Eagles team that we saw last year. They have yet to hit their stride in 2023. And, I mean, let's just talk about it, man. I mean, they are undefeated. And, obviously, it's a weird argument to say that this team isn't the same team as last year, especially when they're undefeated in their first four games. But, I mean, I was watching it with an Eagles fan on Sunday, 
And this is just the same optimism, the same dominance that you were getting from Philly last year. You just aren't seeing it this year. And it's for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one of the big reasons is the injuries are really starting to stack up for this Philly squad, uh, especially in the secondary. I mean, people who watched the game on Sunday, James Bradbury was playing safety for the majority of this game. And anybody who's been watching football over the past three or four years knows that James Bradbury is an all-pro corner, cornerback, not a safety. So they are in dire straits going on in Philly, putting him out to the safety position. They had no Sidney Brown, no Justin Evans, both safeties. Corner Avante Maddox is out for the season. So that sucks. So you already see the secondary starting to stack up with injuries. And you've got the big, the big name guys. You've got Darius Slay. You've got James Bradbury. But beyond that, if you really start to lose your depth and you have to put James Bradbury at safety, you've got serious problems in Philly, especially on the defensive side for a team that prides themselves on defense. And this defense has not been the same as it was last season. I mean, this the front, the front, the front seven is awesome. I mean, it really, it's just the front line is awesome. There's no denying that. And it's going to be awesome for years to come. But this defense as a whole, as I was just talking about, so they had a 61.8 defensive grade against Washington. That averages out to 69.2 for the season. Last year, they had an 85.8 average grade over the entire season. So that's almost 20 slots on PFF, which is absolutely insane. They're allowing the six most passing yards in the league so far. So this defense is really struggling, and that's the main concern for me. I also think that Jalen Hurts doesn't look as good this year. This offense... Kind of seems like it's missing Shane Steichen a little bit. So I think there is some cause for concern in Philly, despite the 4-0 record. But do you have anything to play it back against that? Yeah, I mean, it's I'll push back a little bit because while I agree, like this isn't the same Eagles team as last year. Last year's Eagles team was the best team from start to finish. Throughout the course of last year, they made it to the Super Bowl. They're a couple plays away from winning the Super Bowl. It's kind of hard to compare those teams, especially when you're looking at the record right now and it is 4-0. You know, that's Why is it hard to compare those teams? They only got better on paper. Uh, they what did, did they lose? Of... Devon Hargrave. They add in Jalen okay. Carter, and I know yeah. that he's doing pretty well. Um, they lose Miles Sanders. They get uh, DeAndre Swift in here as well. Look, Who's been I'm not, playing better? I'm not saying well, – okay, then what's what's the issue then? No, I'm just saying, you're saying that they got this. Is, you can't look at this as the same team from last year. Well, they only I'm got saying, better, and they're getting worse. I'm saying so. that being worse than last year's Eagles team, not necessarily a bad thing. Because okay. right, we're going we're gonna to put out our power ranking. Like I said earlier, we're going to put out our power ranking sometime in the next 24 hours. Eagles are probably going to be in the top three. And that's just like, they're 4-0. You know, they've won some close games. They've also dominated some teams. You know, they... Okay, they dominated the Bucs. They dominated the Bucs. But they win a close-ish game against Minnesota. They win a very close game here in Week 4. Uh, they get out to close an early lead New against England. New England. Yeah, and then they kind of let them back in it. Um, Jalen Hurts, I'll give you a little bit on that of just like, okay, maybe he doesn't look like he did last year, but kind of the same effect. Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, was the best quarterback in the NFL last year. He played like it from Week 1 until he got hurt and – you know, if he finishes those last two games, unless something, you know, absolutely terrible happens, he wins most valuable player over Patrick Mahomes. It was just a matter of he got hurt. Um, but he was the best quarterback in the NFL last season. And he's still playing like one of the, I don't know, five, six, seven best quarterbacks in the NFL this season. Uh, we had an A.J. Brown sighting for the first time in a few weeks, like a real true A.J. Brown Use sighting uh, <laughs> this week. He got Ooh. in the end zone once or twice, uh, had a couple big plays in there as well. So you love to see that, but it's again, it's kind of hard to like criticize this team because it's trying. You're trying to compare them to one of the best teams. Like last year's Eagles team was one of the best teams that we've seen probably in the last six or seven years. You know, from start to finish in the regular season, they started out eleven and zero, and it wasn't like a Steelers 2020 eleven and zero. Like it was like a, they're beating the crap out of teams. You know, seven to eight of those weeks, and you know they they just they're still a really good team. Like, I'm not worried about the Eagles. You know, you look in this conference, you see San Francisco, you see Dallas right now. I still think they've got just as good a shot as anybody in the NFL to go to the Super Bowl. I know it's still which early. Which was not the case last season. Which was not the case. Like, you weren't saying that statement about the Eagles last year. Like, they have just as good of a shot as anybody. 
this was like no it's the eagles and everybody else it's the eagles chiefs and then you got your the rest of your teams who have an even shot like this is a completely different conversation we're having about a team that went to the super bowl last year i get it but the, okay so the thing is the, the 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 headline is the 2023 eagles haven't caught their stride yet and while i think that's true if this is the team that hasn't caught their stride yet i'm really afraid to see what they look like when they catch their stride I'm really afraid to see that because if they catch their stride, we could be talking about another 11 and 0 start. Like they're four and 0, they've beaten not the greatest of competition. I'll give you that. Um, in close games, dude. Like in, I mean, if you're watching the game on Sunday, like we're one Terry McLaurin foot inbounds over a forearm away from driving down the field and winning the game in overtime. Well, like I mean, and then what are the conversation? What's the conversation we're having today? We're having a slightly different conversation, but it's probably much more like, oh, Washington's for real, yada, yada, than it is like Philly is a disaster. Didn't need that tone on that. Didn't need that tone on that, just to say. But but you look at at these next few weeks for them, you look at, you go to, you go to LA, even, you know, even though the Rams have their fans, I think Philly still might make that, you know, 30-70 split in the crowd. Uh, Then they go to MetLife to play the Jets. Then they do have Miami, and then it's the Commanders again. Then you play Dallas in Week Nine, and then you get a bye, and then you get Kansas City, Buffalo. You got a rough. Oh my god! Oh my god! They get Dallas bye week, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, oh Seattle. So they better start hot, and we might be having a different conversation in the middle of those weeks there. But I'm not worried about the Eagles if that's like. You know, that's the all-encompassing take here is I'm not worried about Philadelphia one bit. I think they could be 6-7-0. and um, And we're talking about them in the same way we're talking about all these other contenders. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I'll give it to you. I mean, I think if injuries really start to stack up, though, continue to stack up. Now, now that's, that's one thing. Because last year, Philly was pretty far ahead Healthy. as the healthiest team in the NFL. You know, they didn't really yeah. suffer any injuries outside of Jalen Hurts missing those last few weeks, but by then they had, you know, more or less locked up the one seed. And even when you put Gardner Minshew in there, they still went out and scored like 35 points against Dallas, uh, who was one of the best teams in the NFL last year as well. It's just the whole roster is so well equipped to deal with injuries. We talked about that front, you know, that front group of guys, that pass rush where it runs eight or nine deep. Like they could just rotate these guys in and out. And that is part of why they stay so healthy is because they're not playing guys 100% of the snaps on defense. They can rotate these guys in and out. Now, when you start losing guys on the back end, that's going to make things a little bit more difficult for you. Uh, It's kind of a Darius Slay, James Bradbury centered secondary. And if those guys are out, you're a little bit more concerned. Or if one of them is playing safety. Or if one of them's playing safety, um, but you which is you know, happening right now, by the way. Also, you lose one of these playmakers, and again, I, this is a little unfair to be like, oh, well, what if this team loses their best wide receiver? Then what happens? You do that with anybody, but this offense can, you know, if if the running game isn't working on a day, and they're missing one of these wide receivers, which they might get some regression to the mean happening with their injuries. That's when you start getting worried, but as of right now, man, it's just it's kind of hard to pinpoint something and be like, okay, this is what's wrong with Philadelphia because there's there's not a whole lot to point at. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I'll give it to you. We'll see how it uh, continues to unfold over the next few weeks as we went over their schedule. They're going to have to put their game faces on coming up here, uh, but definitely interesting times in Philly. Next one we want to talk about, and one of your next big takeaways from this past week is Mr. Desmond Ritter. Looking really rough in Atlanta right now, man. We're not sure if he's going to be able to maintain that starting job or maintain a starting job anywhere in the foreseeable future in the National Football League. So your big takeaway is it might be time for Desmond Ritter to take a seat on the pine, on the bench, on the sideline. So why do you feel like this is the case? Uh, well, if you watch the game Sunday morning, I don't care if you watched it on ESPN or if you watched the Toy Story broadcast, <laughs> you can see Desmond Ritter was more struggling on the there. Toy Story broadcast. It honestly was. was. It honestly was. Like, I'm, I know that there were some people that didn't have ESPN Plus, but they've got Disney Plus because they've got kids, whatever. And they watched that whole game on the Toy Story broadcast, and they probably saw the same things that I saw. 
maybe even have a more harsh take towards Desmond Ritter after watching that in, you know, live action. And I have no idea how they did that. Credit to Disney and their whole production crew for being able to do that. That's awesome. Um, but back to the matter at hand, and it is, this was a very winnable game for Atlanta. Like, they could have very well won this game. Jacksonville's offense, I still am unsure about. It still looks shaky to me. It has really all season. And it looks shaky again on Sunday, even though, you know, that was practically a home game for them out in London. And they only scored 23 points. Seven of that comes as a direct result of Desmond Ritter throwing a pick six. Um, this offense is ready to go outside of Desmond Ritter. Bijan Robinson, you know, I said it in the offseason. And he looks like the best running back in the NFL. I know Christian McCaffrey's doing his thing in San Francisco and definitely puts together an argument. I think it's one and two, whichever way you want to order it. But Bijan Robinson is playing fantastic. He had a crazy, like, Desmond Ritter somehow missed through him on a ball three yards away. And Bijan Robinson just went up and snatched it like it was a tennis ball. Um, and ended up turning, turning that sack into a first down somehow. Uh, Drake London had a touchdown. Kyle Pitts still nowhere to be found um, and came out today. Arthur Smith said Desmond Ritter is going to be our starting quarterback in week five. I don't know if he said it in week five and beyond, but he may have said going forward. The, verb, the coach verbiage uh, is a little confusing, but it looks like Desmond Ritter is the quarterback for at least this week. And I just, I honestly think that's a mistake, man. I don't think Taylor Heineke is a world beater. I really like, I think he's somewhere in the thirties in quarterback rankings, but so is Desmond Ritter. And right now Desmond Ritter isn't working. Like we talked about it a little bit where everybody's talking about Kirk Cousins of the Jets and maybe it could be Kirk Cousins here to Atlanta. Not that they're running the crap out of Desmond Ritter, but I just feel like the offense would have to change a little bit. The thing that makes the most sense to me is Ryan Tannehill. I know that they just won on Sunday, so they're two and two. It's not like they're zero and four and they're out of it and looking to move on. But let's say somehow Malik Willis slash Will Levis comes and takes that job from Ryan Tannehill before the trade deadline. I think that makes way too much sense. Arthur Smith, familiar play caller for him coming from Tennessee as the offensive coordinator. They need a quarterback change here in Atlanta. And, you know, I see what Tampa Bay's doing. I see what New Orleans is doing. I think that if you put Ryan Tannehill here, this is the far and away favorite in in the NFC South, in my opinion. Just, again, this is a very— We talked about Malik Willis at one time. Yeah, but I just—I think Tennessee wouldn't trade away Malik Willis— to keep Tannehill They've as the starter. They've been actively shopping him before the to, season. I think they maybe had a little bit more confidence in Tannehill. I haven't heard anything of them saying that they're going to shop Willis since the season started. Yeah. Maybe there is rumblings. Uh, I just don't see any Why reason change, for them though? to do that. I, I get it, like, but I, I don't see any reason point. for them to do that right now because I, I do think that what they've got right now, not to turn this into a Tennessee thing, I think they just want to see who wins that second spot between Willis and Levis and if – they are like, all right, the season's over, Tannehill. You're either getting traded out of here. We're just going to sit you down for the rest of the year, see what we got in these young guys. Hell, they might honestly alternate games of just like, all right, we're going to start Malik Willis this week. We're going to start Will Levis this week. Whoever plays the best gets to play next week and do that for the rest of the year. I don't know. But I, I just think that whether it be Taylor Heineke, whether it be Kirk Cousins, whether it be Ryan Tannehill, I don't care who it is, it can't be Desmond Ritter. For the rest of the season this is a team that you know th- this isn't the one of the worst teams in the league take the quarterback off the field and play with 10 guys this is still a team that's not going to be in the caleb williams sweepstakes like they can still win football games this defense has been playing a lot better than it did in seasons past the running game is obviously fantastic you know they can win games they're not going to be in this caleb williams drake may whatever quarterback you want to talk about at the top of the draft they're going to have to find ways to get a veteran or figure this shit out with Desmond Ritter. And I just don't think that they can. I don't think that Desmond Ritter's got it to be a starting quarterback in this league long-term. I mean, you see, he's even losing the locker room a little bit. He tried to dap up Matt Collins after what I was imagining is yeah. a Desmond Ritter pick. And Matt Collins, like I, I like literally stood up like he wanted to hit him. Um, I've not even, not even like a, work. it wasn't like a brush off, like a man, like get out. Of, it was like a, okay, I want going. the smoke. We're going right yeah. now. You and me, yeah. just for a dab. And then like, Desmond, Desmond immediately like, oh, like right. disconnects and starts walking the other way. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God. First of all, why does Matt Collins think that he's just serves targets over say Kyle Pitts, who maybe should be screaming in Ritter's face instead. But you know, that's either here nor there, but need- you're, Everybody needs to be screaming in Arthur Smith's face because 
this again this very clearly isn't working we trade for Gardner Minshew like see what you can do to get him in the building I don't know if Indianapolis would be willing to move him especially with Anthony Richardson maybe you know maybe struggling with some concussions and having a good backup is very valuable in this league but if you give up a certain level of draft pick to go get Gardner Minshew I'm sure they'll Jacoby Brissett somebody anybody Jacoby Brissett somebody like I, you just you got to make a change at some point. I mean, like I said, he's kind of losing the locker room a little bit, and I think that at a certain point, Arthur Smith's going to lose the locker room, similar to the way that we were talking about earlier this week with Robert Sala and Zach Wilson, where it's like if you keep running this guy out there and the defense is playing well, the running game's well, and he just keeps losing football games. He had three turnovers in this game. He had a pick six that cost them seven points. He had a fumble uh, at the end of the game that you know ended the game for this team you're going to lose guys. You're going to, you're going to start to lose the buy-in. And once you lose the buy-in, especially on a team like this, where if they are feisty and they're inspired and going out there and hitting hard and running hard, they could win this division and be a playoff team. If you lose that, that goes away. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's really not, I think you covered just about all of it there. I mean, Desmond Ritter does not deserve a starting quarterback job in the NFL right now. I mean, it's pretty clear to anybody who's been watching. And as you said, the whole team around him is built to be successful. And one thing that we didn't talk about a lot, but this offensive line is one of the better groups in the league, correct? Yeah, and I mean, it's been hasn't been as good as it was in last no. or during last season, but it's no. it's still been very good and it's it's not like you know, we talked about it with Houston. I mean, you look at the situation that CJ Stroud's dealing with and how, you know, the weapons around him weren't supposed to be good and the offensive line really isn't good. He's not in that situation here. Like, and we he talk can, about quarterbacks who make players better around them, yes. and we can, we're already putting Stroud into that conversation. Yeah, you know? like you don't you don't have to do a whole lot. Just honestly, on this Atlanta team with Bijan, with Tyler Algier, with some solid weapons, with a good offensive line and a good defense, just don't turn the ball over. That's all you have right. to do. I mean, at a certain point, you know, once we get you know into the late season into the playoffs, you got to start making plays as a quarterback, but Right now, you just don't turn the ball over. If they don't turn the ball, they have they're in a 50-50 chance in this game. And just the turnovers three times, one that directly resulted in seven points, and then I think he threw a pick on the very next drive. Like, you're not going to win that way. No, you can't win that way. And this is it's frustrating because, like you said, this is a team that should be winning right now. And they're not. They've got the talent to do it except for the quarterback position. And, I mean, you talked about it. Like, the one explanation for Desmond Ritter staying in a starting quarterback is his rushing ability and what it can create. But he's not rushing the ball. I mean, outside of week two when he scored that game-winning touchdown, uh, rushes it in. He had five attempts, 40 yards. Not that impressive in that game, first of all. And then outside of that, he has yet to break seven yards on the ground in any other game. So he's not even providing that. I mean, that was like he ran the fastest 40 of any quarterback in recently. Draft, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like that's what the hype was for Desmond Ritter. And it was like, oh, well, if he's going to be a good fit anywhere, it's going to be Atlanta because he can at least run the ball. But when he's not running the ball, he's literally a and paperweight. Even to the like, just real quickly to cover that last effect on losing the locker room. This is the exact same thing they went through last year because Marcus Mariota was looking the same way that Desmond Ritter is right now. And I can, you know, for the guys that have been there for the last two years, I mean, God's sakes, I don't, can't imagine how Kyle Pitts feels where he's looking around and he's like, he saw the last bit of Matt Ryan where he's running for his life the entire time and one of the worst red zone quarterbacks ever. And obviously Kyle Pitts is, could be one of the best red zone targets ever. He gets Marcus Mariota, he gets Desmond Ritter at the end of the year, and then he gets Desmond Ritter again this year. Like, at some point, fans, the front office, the players, they got to be getting tired of this, this poor quarterback play shit. You know, when you mention the fans first, it is not a good Yeah, do this for the fans, man. Yeah, do this for the – they deserve better in Atlanta. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a tough scene in Atlanta right now, and it seems like Desmond Ritter should be taking a seat. He's not going to be doing it this week, but it should be coming pretty soon because I want to. I miss Heineke time. I miss Heineke. And the thing is, I think like he could have a terrible game if he starts next week and he has a terrible game. If he makes two good throws, 
we're all going to be over the moon because we're like, oh, my God, you know, it's Heineke time. He's so back. He's so much better than Ritter. It'll get stale after a few weeks, but just just give a punch to this team of some kind. You know he's going to have that pylon diving touchdown in the first week that he starts, and, and that'll be the only highlight. And everything else he'll throw for 50 yards with three picks, but that'll be the highlight And like it's that, Heineke time. That thing that we talked about with him in Washington where it's just like he knows – I cannot make this play by myself, but Terry McLaurin can. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bijan Robinson, those are guys where you just like kind of blindly throw them the ball and just be like, they have a better chance of converting this exactly. in first down or, you know, getting four or five yards here than I do, doing anything like quarterback wise, running wise, whatever. Like, and I guess as a young quarterback, he's afraid of making those mistakes because it will reflect badly upon him going forward in the future. But like Heineke, he doesn't give a shit at this point. Like I mean, exactly. like you said, he's he's just and everything tossing is house it up money to for him. talented players. Right. Exactly. So like it doesn't matter. What just give Heineke a chance. I want to see it. But all right. Let's dive into uh, my last takeaway from this week. And it's a guy, we mentioned him in the uh, Desmond Ritter conversation. It's a guy that we were talking very similarly about last week in the same light that we were talking about <laughs> Desmond Ritter this week. And that is Zach Wilson, man. And my takeaway for Zach Wilson headed forward into the rest of the season is that he might be able to keep this team afloat at least until possibly Aaron Rodgers comes back this season. I mean, that seems like it's more and more every day going to be a possibility, but that's nonetheless. But Zach Wilson does look like a serviceable quarterback, and he looked pretty damn serviceable last night. Uh, finished with a – I'm a big PFF guy today. Uh, but 72.2 passing grade on Sunday Night Football last night against the Chiefs. And that's the second-best grade of his entire career so far. So maybe Zach Wilson's turning it around. And, I mean, to the eye test, he looked phenomenal. He looked confident last night. He was making some back-shoulder throws that were impressive. Now, he did have the fumbled snap that pretty much ended the game. But that's a freak thing. You know, like that's not – it would much wor- it would be much worse if he threw like an interception to end the game. Like that's a lot worse. But like a fumbled snap, that's just that's just a freak accident. And right after the game, he took full responsibility. He was like, "This this is my fault. Uh, I'm the reason we lost the game." But it was awesome to see how all the support on Twitter, especially um, people, felt bad for him. People felt like sorry for Zach Wilson and. Maybe he doesn't want that, but you saw the support of his teammates, which was awesome to see because it was a question mark. I mean, we saw the reports that Robert Sala was losing this locker room because of his decision to continue forward with Zach Wilson. And obviously that's not the case as of last night because you saw a ton of teammates coming up and supporting Zach Wilson for his mistake. So that was awesome to see. And I really do think that Zach Wilson can keep this team afloat. I mean, this defense is going to do its thing. I mean, it's on paper, it's one of the best, if not the best defense in the National Football League. So they're going to do their thing as long as they do enough. And this offense around Zach Wilson is awesome. I mean, people tend to forget, but Garrett Wilson still won Offensive Rookie of the Year with Zach Wilson under the helm last year, or at the helm. And I know Mike White was there for a little bit of it, but Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson did have a connection last year. And something that you see from Zach Wilson that you can't get from anybody or you can't get from Aaron Rodgers, at least, and that I saw last night was his ability to create more. Like he can roll out of the pocket. And I know his ability to run in a straight line is better than Aaron Rodgers. That's okay. Okay. Now, his ability to avoid the pocket, like get out and roll out to the side, like he can't. It's Aaron Rodgers cannot do that. I get Physically, it, but it's the, de- it's the death of him. Like, I I like Zach Wilson to a certain degree. But partially, that is the death of him, is him immediately bailing out of the pocket. And doesn't help that this offensive line is not played very well at all to start this season. I mean, hell, the exactly, first— bro. He was, Aaron exactly. Rodgers played, and played four snaps. He got pressured on two of them. Like, yeah. And Zach Wilson is a very paranoid quarterback. Like, that is one thing that, you know, he can create, but he is paranoid as hell. And at a didn't certain point— didn't see any of that last night. And I you didn't. didn't. And that's that. that's kind of the thing, and that's why this is the headline right now, is we're saying that he might be able to keep the ship afloat, despite the fact that through, you know, two games and three quarters to this point, it was sit him down for Chris Strevler or Trevor Simeon or anything else other than this. Uh, last night looked good. And— 
I don't want to take too much stock in that because there were some very weird things going on. Like the fact that, you know, you talked about PFF, Zach Wilson outgraded Patrick Mahomes by 20 points. Patrick Mahomes graded out at a 52.2. And I believe I saw today, and I'm not sure if it was throughout his entire career or just his NFL career, but I'm pretty sure it said since high school, that was the first time that a quarterback on an opposing team of Patrick Mahomes had more completions, more yards, more touchdowns, and less picks than Patrick Mahomes since he was in high school. And it was Zach Wilson. It wasn't Josh Allen. It wasn't Joe Burrow. It wasn't Tom Brady. It wasn't Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. It was Zach Wilson. Like exactly the guy that, who, to this point has been awful. To his clutch factor, bro. A little bit because it's like, oh boy. dude. I know. I know. Okay, maybe I'm getting a little off the rails here, but like, I think that Zach Wilson looked more. And this is not an overstretch at all. He looked more comfortable than any other point in his career. Oh, last night. Yeah, like he and he just even looking at this season, he looked way more comfortable. And that's another thing. Like you talked about Garrett Wilson, man. Like tonight or last night, it felt together. Like it didn't feel like those two were like like Garrett Wilson's like you got to give me the ball. It's Zach's like look, I I I can't. Um, it just felt like they were on it, and maybe that's what like they that, need to uh, do. It's that Tim Robinson sketch where he's like, I can't drive. I don't know how. Like that, and that's how it felt for the first three weeks. I mean, we saw that like whole meme of like, oh, they just come together and Garrett Wilson yells at him and then Zach Wilson throws a touchdown to him. That happened like in each of the first three weeks. They threw the ball to him 14 times last night and that worked. Like, boom, Um, that worked. And it honestly, it opened up the run game a little bit. The running game in weeks two and three was atrocious. Brees Hall couldn't get anything going. Dalvin Cook couldn't get anything going. I think they only ran the ball like eight or nine times against Dallas. I understand that they were at a deficit for the most, the majority of that game, but you got to establish the run to a certain degree. They didn't do that. They were able to do that a little bit last night. Brees Hall had a big run, kind of felt a little bit like not a J.K. Dobbins type thing, but he did get caught. And that's, you know, Brees Hall doesn't get caught on that. We saw that no. in the early parts of last year. Brees Hall shouldn't be getting caught. But, look, I, I'm not going to say that this team's going to mass, just snap of a finger, turn this thing around. I honestly, I know that this sounds stupid. I think Aaron Rodgers being there, you know, in the stadium, in the press box, kind of gave Zach Wilson a little bit of confidence. Oh, yeah. And I'm almost certain that's why Aaron Rodgers was there. Was because, oh, yeah. you know, he need like, Zach Wilson is a kid. Like, you know, he's he's older than you and me. But, like, when you... Barely. Yeah. As a football player, like, he has... This sounds going to sound rude, but he has the mind of a child. Like, he needs constant reinforcement of, like... All quarterbacks. Do. You're good. All and, quarterbacks. Yeah. I, but Zach Wilson, to a much more serious degree, especially when they've had to deal with the amount of criticism that Zach Wilson has over the last three years you know Aaron Rodgers was brought in to be his replacement because of how bad the quarterback situation has been recently and for him to be thrust into this you know I can't imagine he you know all guys stay ready but he didn't think he was going to be the starting quarterback for the remainder of the season stepping into the shoes of one of the four or five best quarterbacks ever four snaps into the season and I I think it's going to take him a little time to adjust and we, we maybe saw the culmination of it last night. I don't think that this is going to be like, a, all right, well, Zach Wilson's going to become the number two pick that he was supposed to be, but we may have seen the Jets season turn around last night. Like, yeah. the they lose. I'm going to just, we'll have this quick conversation. The calls that were made at the end of that game, I'm not a, the NFL is rigged person. I think that that's, you know, now I conspiracy now theory I thing. Um. The fact that the flag got thrown after the ball was picked makes me a little curious. And the fact that the Chiefs... question why I'm analyzing this league if the whole thing is scripted anyway. The NFL <laughs> has been really cracking down on Chiefs offensive linemen to start this season. And uh, then there's a very obvious, like... Defensive lineman going, hey, yeah, hey, I'm getting held I'm here. Holding this guy, um, yeah, bro. On a what, third and twenty-three, fourth and twenty-three, Patrick Mahomes run. Uh, Taylor Swift is in the building. That whole thing is going on. ESPN, Sports Center, Bleacher Report, NFL will not shut up about it. It's getting a little old at this point. I, it's all, it's almost getting old to say that it's getting old. That's how old it's getting with this whole Taylor Swift thing. But immediately the very next day, after some very questionable calls that the chiefs win we see taylor swift is the header for twitter's or for the nfl's twitter page and in the instagram bio for the nfl the chiefs are 2-0 as swifties definitely should have been one of our headlines um, this week 
I yeah, mean, this was like, this was the big takeaway this morning. I mean, like, once everybody oh, saw dude. that, and like I, I'm a Steelers fan, I could give a shit about either two, one of these teams. I've I'm a like one of the teams that I've been pulling for is the Jets. You know, I yeah. love Garrett Wilson. I love Aaron Rodgers. I like Zach I Wilson Salah. coming out. I like Salah a lot. Maybe it's the hard knocks thing. I don't know, but I'm a little bit like drawn to this team. I was pissed last night watching that game Me too. because I think. You know, I think they got screwed. And you talked about it a little bit with uh, Zach Wilson turning the ball over. You know, not very many times do you fumble the ball with seven minutes and 40 seconds left at the 50-yard line and expect to and not get, get the ball chance. back. Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't happen very often. Mm-mm. Not the ma- – I mean, like, for God's sakes, they when Zach, Patrick Mahomes had that 23-yard run, that was from the 50. Like, they got 20 yards on that one play. So even like you would, it wasn't like a clock management problem or anything. It's just very rarely would you be like, okay, we've turned the ball over with seven minutes and 24 seconds left. That's it. We're done. There was something, all that I will say is that there was something really (laughs) weird about the second half of yesterday's game. There was, was. I mean, but you got to remember, like it was 17, nothing for Kansas city at one point. And the jets just started to build a little bit of momentum. Zach Wilson, you know, turn it up a little bit. Patrick Mahomes turned the ball over twice. Like, I saw somebody like tweet like I was a reporter or something. And he was like, I've gotten three texts saying like, is Mahomes sick? Because like there were just like some throws where it was just like, he had like oh. a 30 yard ball and it just like was like six or seven yards. Tell short. me it's like that guy me, doesn't do that. Tell me why after his first interception, he points up out of the booth and does the Taylor Swift heart. I think I missed that. I, don't, I, I might have missed that, that. That was, I was like, what do you, what is going on? It See, might not uh, have been his first pick. It was some bad play that happened, and then he was like that. I was like, oh, my God. I was this guy. a little, little weird. I've never been like a – like, you know how people, like, hate the Patriots and hate the Cowboys. I just hate the Ravens. Like, that's pretty much it. But, like, people like to hate the best, and I get that a lot of people hate Mahomes for that reason. And I've never really seen that. But last night when he, like, slid and didn't score the touchdown, and everybody was like, oh, my God, he's so selfless. And then he stands up and is like – you know, are you not entertained? Yeah, does I that was like, okay, cat. man. Do you not realize like the context of what just happened and why you're here right now? Maybe you should just kind of walk back to the huddle and maybe keep it down a little bit. Simmer down. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I- I'm not here to put the NFL into question. Uh, again, I've never been like that guy where it's like, oh, it's all rigged for ratings, yada, yada, yada. But uh, there were definitely some very strange things going on in last night's game. And uh, Robert Sala... 100% has every right to be pissed. You know, exactly. if I was him in that press conference uh, last night and then probably again today or tomorrow, um, I'd be flipping podiums, you know, cussing out reporters, all kinds of stuff about yeah. what happened. And I, I'd eat the fine. I'm sure Woody Johnson is would be willing to pay that fine for, for him. So, yeah. And he's going he's to because he definitely is going to receive a fine after what he said to the refs last night. Whatever, man. It's fine. But, Anyway, great game for Zach Wilson last night, <laughs> despite the refs' vendetta against the Jets. Um, this was a great game for Zach Wilson. You can't pin that. Uh, I mean, it was a mistake, sure, at the end of the game, fumbling the snap, but it shouldn't have I mean, cost him a game, yeah. like you said. And that's a freak thing that happens. Like, that's not a skill-based thing. Like, that's just like, damn, that really sucks that that happens. Like, that so, that happens, like, once a season for everybody. And they happen right. to lose the fumble, and it happened to be the last possession of the game. On Josh Sunday Allen football. did it on his goal line and to end up with a safety. You know, Josh Allen did it in week one against the Jets, and that ultimately cost them that game. The Jets have a free Facts. win because Josh Allen fumbled a snap. Facts, dude. I didn't even think about that. So, like, it comes full circle for Zach Wilson. I loved what I saw from him last night. Really, it's just a feel-good story, him coming back like this. And I do think that there is a little bit to – because, you know, most people I saw yesterday, most people are in a boot, completely stationary, can't get up, go anywhere for at least 12 weeks after an Achilles tear. Aaron Rodgers was speed walking in crutches on the sideline yesterday. Yeah. Speed walking. I think that the idea he had of- a- revolutionary surgery he i know put the, he got a replacement achilles in there so like it's a new type of procedure not the same type of achilles surgery that everybody else has gotten so i think there is a little bit this is definitely tinfoil hat ish but yeah. i think there is a little bit 
to the fact, I mean, you mentioned it, that Aaron Rodgers was at the game last night and that gave Zach Wilson a little bit more confidence. I think Zach Wilson seeing Aaron Rodgers walk around like that, he's like, dude, this guy really is trying to come back for the playoffs. Like he really wants to be back for this team this season. And that's Aaron Rodgers goal this year. And I think that the team is really starting to believe that. And I think that that's a mental security for Zach Wilson that like, hey, if I can just keep this team afloat until our guy comes back, then that's what I need to do. That's what I can do for this team. And I think Aaron Rodgers showing up, walking around on the sidelines last night, like you said, completely changed the narrative for this Jets team and gave them a sense of confidence that they didn't have before. So I think that Zach Wilson, to bring this completely full circle, can keep this team afloat until a possible Aaron Rodgers return late this season. So that'll be fun to watch, but... Yeah, man, that just about does it for our uh, takeaways from week four. Uh, Coming out with another episode um, later this week, uh, previewing week five ahead of us. It'll be another great week of football. Looking forward to that. Um, And apologies for not getting any podcasts out last week. I'm just a bum straight up, but it'll change this week. Looking forward to the football content. So we'll catch you guys later this week. Peace.